they've made a shirt from the intestines of sea mammals. Hannibal Lecter, eat your heart out. I don't even think he came up with anything like this depraved as that. Yeah, he's not even trying. No, Get it together, Hannibal. This is the $5 Planet Travel Podcast. I'm Tomo. And I'm Megzi. And we bring you the formula to discover travel freedom. Step one, every Thursday, we'll show you how to travel the world in style, full time, for as little as $300 per person per month. Step two, every Monday, we interview digital entrepreneurs who reveal the methods to creating a location-independent online income. So subscribe on iTunes now and discover travel freedom for yourself with the $5 Planet Travel Podcast. This is Travel Thursdays, episode 015. And in today's episode, we check out the British Museum for free. We reveal the cheapest way to go out for a beer in England. And we talk to Charlie from Walkie Talkie about some of the crazier London history. The Tower of London was the UK's first zoo, essentially. So there was this menagerie of animals there for something like 600 years. And at one point, there was a polar bear that lived in the tower. And these animals are really expensive to keep. So someone came up with a bright idea of just putting this polar bear on a very long chain and allowing it to fish in the, the Thames for its, its supper, essentially. So if we'd been around in the 1200s, you could have gone down to the Thames and seen a polar bear catching its dinner. Plus, Charlie tells us where to get a great feed for under $5 24 hours a day in London. Forget kebabs, if it's three o'clock in the morning and you're in that area, then it's definitely bagels. It's this sort of microcosm of the East End because you've got the hipsters, definitely lots of tight trousers in that shop, but then you've got homeless people, you've got policemen, you've got builders, lots of tourists and locals as well. And everyone just jams themselves in that little shop and yeah, gorges themselves. All right, well, greetings once again, $5 Planet listeners. It's Travel Thursdays. Yeah, Thursday, Travel Days. Yeah, we're doing some travel stuff. And over the last few weeks, we've been starting to talk about the big five digital nomad expenses for long-term travelers. And we're doing some focus stuff on each one as we go along, some special bits and pieces, extra travel hacks. You know, we're going to be mixing it up, but really it all comes down to the big five, which are... Transport. Yep. Accommodation. Food. Entertainment. And business costs. Yes. And your business costs, depending on if you're a digital nomad or if you're just listening to this for the travel hacks part of the show, may or may not be important to you. But anyway, that's a Monday thing. The other four are the big four that we talk about on Thursdays as part of the big five. And of course, the little extra cost of travel insurance. Some travelers think they don't need it if they're traveling long term. I think it's even more important. If, like, if you get into serious trouble, you want to know that there's someone there to help you out. Yeah, plus, like, if you get into a real big scrape and you get really badly injured in a foreign country where you're going to have to pay the medical bills, that's pretty much your entire thing over. So if you spend, like, three years saving to do a one-year trip with the intention of, by the end of that year, being earning money online, and three months in, you smash up your leg, and you can't work for months, yep. all of your savings get spent on covering the cost of those bills. Dream over. And then by the time you've like got yourself back on your feet, it's gonna be years down the line before you've saved up that money and can try again. What's the point? For a few dollars a day, probably less than that, it's like two or three dollars a day for travel insurance. Yeah. You know that you're gonna be able to just do the trip and if something goes wrong, you're gonna be fully covered, fully paid for. We use World Nomads because not only are you fully covered medically, but their cover is more comprehensive than other companies and cover your laptops and digital cameras and a lot of that stuff that you'll need to travel with as digital nomads. Yeah. And adventure travel, like safaris. You can go on safari and you're covered. Yeah. Crazy shit like that. If your truck gets hit by a rhino in the face, sorted. you're all right. They're going to pay for you to get healed up and get you out of there. So that's pretty cool. So if you want to grab yourself a 5% discount on World Nomads insurance, then jump on our link, $5planet.com slash World Nomads, all one word, and use discount code. WN5DP and you'll get 5% off. Yep. So just go through the motions, put your name and stuff in, get to the coupon code bit and throw in that code WN5DP, as in World Nomads $5 Planet. All right, well, today, as we said, we're talking about the big five, four, six, whichever big ones there are. There's four of them that we mainly talk about and a couple of others that we talk about a bit. I'm just waffling now. Okay, so we're going to continue our feature on the big five travel expenses, and today we are talking about transport. Yes, transport is a big expense, but in some countries it can be, it can, it can be considerably cheaper in, like, Asia, 
and just get around in like rickshaws and the trains are really cheap and we may talk more about asian transport in another episode but this is our london episode so we're going to talk about some travel hacks for london and europe yeah because asia's cheap europe is expensive so if you want to get around europe cheaply you're going to need to know how to do this shit so here's our top three tips for getting cheaper transport in europe don't travel overland we flew from london to athens for about 30 bucks per person with Ryanair. Imagine if you'd done that journey by bus, it would cost you a fortune. Yeah, and it would have taken ages. Yes, the time as well. This is the weird thing, and this is something we figured out as travel hackers. I mean, a lot of people come to Europe and they go, cool, I'm gonna go to Barcelona, and then I'm gonna go to, to Paris, and I'm gonna Amsterdam, and like, I'm just gonna go overland between these countries, and that'll be cheaper because they're really close together. No, no, we figured out it actually would be cheaper. As an example, it would be cheaper, and you'd visit more places. If you've got a flight from Barcelona to Bucharest in Romania, and then you've got a flight back from Bucharest to Paris, and then from Paris to Poland, and then Poland back to Amsterdam, you would probably spend less. As long as you get the deals on the right day, you would spend less doing that with all those random flights. You would visit more interesting and more, just more places. And yeah, it's gonna cost you less. It's crazy. Yeah, the flights in Europe are super cheap and it's definitely worth looking at because they do come in much cheaper than any ferries, any trains, any buses, and it's shorter amount of time traveling, which is, you know, saving you time in yeah. in life, in just in living. Not, in not sitting on a highway. Yeah. So yeah, we do this all the time. We often choose where we're going, not just based on our house sitting, but also based on which destinations Ryanair actually flies to. Yeah. So yeah, they do save us a lot of money by traveling with Ryanair. Okay, so tip number two, cheap buses. Like yes. Megabus, Eurolines. Sometimes these things, companies can sound a little bit expensive if you look at them at the wrong time, if you book your thing last minute. But actually, there's some ways to get some pretty damn good deals out of places yeah. like Megabus. We know we just said don't travel overland, but sometimes they do have some really good deals. So you've got to go where the deals are, and that's how you save money. We saw Barcelona to Paris is like £15, which is about $24. It's typical. Yeah, that's like have... a typical price. They have cheaper prices, like yeah. better deals sometimes. Some of them are like £5 yeah. or something. It does happen. We met them in Paris and they're like, yeah, we're going to Barcelona and it's going to cost me £5. We're like, dude, awesome price. Yeah, it's crazy. And Megabus actually has so many routes around the UK. And obviously traveling in the UK is ridiculously expensive. So I saw London to Bath for £4. That's about just over $6. Bath is where the most complete ancient Roman baths in the world are. We went to visit Bath and visit the baths there. It's really fascinating. It, it is you really can't actually bath in Bath. No, well, you can. If you want to go to a fancy spa, you can bath in Bath. Oh, you can bath. Otherwise, oh. you can just walk around the historic site. We couldn't afford to bath in Bath. Bath. No, certainly not. Yeah, that's really, it's a really amazing price. You think if you get a train from London to Bath, it's going to cost you about £35, and this costs £4. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, look around for these options. Look around for the cheap buses. Don't assume that the train's going to be the cheapest way to do it. Occasionally there are deals, but you know, buses are pretty awesome. And of course, avoid traveling at peak times because you know, you're going to pay more then. Yeah, if it's like a Friday night and you're booking your trip for a Friday night, that can end up being more expensive. That's what I've seen. I've looked at the sites and I've looked at like the weeks planned out and which days are cheapest. Yeah, midweek stuff is always cheaper. People go away for the weekends and they need a bus. We went from London to Paris. We managed to get two people there for $61. That was like 30 bucks each. If we'd flown, it would have probably been about the same or a little bit more, but we'd have had to get to an airport. Whereas the bus left from central London, which is where we were. So we didn't have to pay to get out to the airport. So yeah, you've got to balance it up. You've got to look into these things. You just, you don't know for sure. So tip number three for super cheap European transport. Blah, blah, car. Blah, 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 car. It's such an amazing thing that we discovered in Europe. What is it? It's car sharing. Saves you a buttload. So someone's going, from A to B in their car, and they decide to subsidize the costs of traveling there by offering up the seats in their car. Now, the, way, the reason why it's blah blah car is because you can choose the level of blah. If someone's like blah blah blah, they're like really chatty. If they're blah blah, they're semi chatty. If they're blah, not really chatty at all. Yeah. And you can choose what level of chatty you want. So you've got the choice. If you want to meet some people who are going to have a big old chat and you're going to learn a bit about their culture, then you go for the blah blah blah. We usually do. Which is what we do. We are blah blah blah. In fact, I don't think anyone who was blah would even take us in their car. No, they'd be like, they'd be shut like, up. Yeah, shut up, get out. <laughs> Pay me extra. I'm not putting up with you anymore. But we use this service. It's a lot in Western Europe. 
it's like Spain, France, UK, Germany, which is good because that's where transport's they're more expensive. They're expanding though. They're in 12 different countries the last time I checked. Yeah, so they're expanding really fast just because it's such a great idea. And because of the way that it works, the people that are doing the blah blah car, the people who own the car, cannot overcharge you. Because if they start charging you to make a profit, that means they're a taxi service, and that means it's illegal, they have to have a license. So they are restricted based on the number of kilometers which they put in the website as to like a maximum sort of price that they can charge. So if they've got a really small economical car, it's gonna be even cheaper than someone with a big car because they really genuinely can't charge more for all that extra fuel that they're using for their seven liter engine. Yeah. So yeah, it's really good. You are paying a set rate that is a fair rate. It's not profit. And it's also a great way to meet locals as well. We got a car share from Castle Nordre, which is near Toulouse in France, to Grenoble where we were going to house it. And the guy who we met, who was our driver, his name was Damien and him and his wife lived in Grenoble and they invited us around for dinner and we went out for birthday drinks when it was his wife's birthday. And we hung out quite a few times because they were a really nice French couple. Yes. They helped educate us a little bit about French wine. And cheese, how to slice cheese properly oh, and not piss ways. off the French. <laughs> so yeah, it was really cool. We met those people and whilst we were house sitting there, it meant we had some locals to hang out with. And of course, if you want to go house sitting in France, there's loads of options in France. We say um, we stayed near Toulouse, we stayed in Castle Nadre in that 16th century chateau that we mentioned in another episode. And of course we're staying in Grenoble as well. And France is one of those places where we see some of the most house sits come up. Lots of expats. Yeah, lots of English people. We want to go people. home to visit family and stuff, so they need someone to take care of their pets. And a lot of them have like retired out there, so they've actually got really nice houses. Yep. So you can get some really, really good house sits in France and so, it saves you a fortune in a country that's normally expensive. Yeah, so if you want to get on board and do some house sitting around France, uh, use our discount code. Just head to the link $5dollarplanet.com slash house and once you go through the uh, application process and choose which package you want, you can put in our discount code 5DP, as in $5 Planet, and you get 15% off your house sitting membership. Cool, well that is our three top tips for transport. We're going to have loads more transport tips coming up in future episodes. Obviously we've got a limited amount of time in each episode, so we're just doing a few cool Europe ones. We've got other Europe ones that we didn't even mention today. but. For this episode, we are in London. We're not actually in London this second, but we were in London when we were recording some of the other stuff for this episode. And uh, we hooked up for this free tour. It's not actually free. We got it free because we are bloggers. Another benefit of being a blogger, you don't have to be a travel blogger to get free stuff. You can be a blogger in anything to get free stuff in that niche. If you're a technology blogger, you're probably going to get yourself some free phones. Someone will send yeah. you a free phone because you tell them you're going to review it. You know, whatever niche you're in, you've got to be able to find a way to get free stuff. But you also have to be able to give it back so that people who are giving you the free stuff are getting quality promotion from you using their product. Yeah, so you need to be writing really cool articles and taking photos or, you know, doing a user guide, whatever it is that they need. Yeah. For us, we went and did this tour, Walk, Eat, Talk, Eat, which was a little surprise for my birthday. I didn't know about it when Meg set it up. <laughs> <laughs> What? I don't know what that is, I'm sorry! <laughs> this is the silliest laugh I've ever heard. Yes, so, for this company we went on an East London food tour and Meg put together an article. What was that one called? We called this one, Think UK Food Sucks Spotted Dick. This article might change your mind. That was Tom's idea for that. But Charlie actually loved the headline. <laughs> and if you don't know what spotted dick is, it's actually a British dessert that's got dried fruit in it. Hence the, the whole spotted thing. I don't know why it's dick. I don't know why it's dick and I'm English. Why would you call a dessert spotted dick? I don't it doesn't know. sound like something tasty to chew on, does it? Our friends from Roaming Renegades actually said their aunt once asked for spotted penis because she thought it was too rude to ask for <laughs> spotted dick. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> it's a dessert, is what it's called. It's a... Call it Spotted Richard if you have to. It doesn't even look like a dick, it's just a round pudding thing <laughs> with fruit in it. Oh, God knows. Right? Anyway, but if that's... you know why it's yeah. called Spotted Dick, please tweet us at $5 Travel. But that's what the article was called, but it's about the up and coming food scene in London, which is really booming at the moment, and it's really multicultural and it's really really great there's some good food out there to try for really good prices as well yeah so anyway we caught up with charlie uh, to ask her some questions over skype after we'd done her tour with her friend who was called rue oh with rue yeah we did uh, the tour with rue one of her tour guides uh, we caught up with charlie on skype to ask her some questions about east london culture and food so here's our interview with charlie okay yeah. let's welcome charlie from walk eat talk eat today she's our london expert who's going to talk to us 
all about what to do in the merry old town of London. Mm -hmm. So Charlie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your business? Absolutely. Um, yep. So I've been running Walkie Talkie for three years now. Basically, they are like historical walking tours, but the emphasis is on food. So we're sort of showing people a neighbourhood by getting them to eat their way around it. And the idea is really just to give people a bit of a flavour of the history, you know, stories from the past, but with a bit of a twist for the food. So it's more alternative stuff. So we like to do sort of street food stalls or just really tucked away places, the places that most people miss is the idea. Mm, well, I'm glad you mentioned street food because that's one of the things we love to get involved with everywhere we go. So maybe you could give us like a top tip. What area of London is really good for street food right now? I mean, it changes a lot because there's so much new stuff opening up. I know, in fact, there's a new place that's going to be opening up on Bermondsey Street. I think it's running Wednesday evenings through to Sundays and it's going to be a series of food stores in an old tobacco warehouse. And the area is really picturesque and, and really cute anyway. And there's lots of great bars around. So I think that's going to be a really good addition to SE1. But my heart really lies in the East End because I lived there for such a long time. So I think if you go to Shoreditch, you're not going to disappointed there's a couple of different street food stalls there so if you go on a weekday i'd say head up to shoreditch high street station and then there's a shoreditch food village is right there they've got people like yalla yalla so some great lebanese food and the place we go to is constanzias on the food tours we take people for their choripan sausages which is a nice argentinian sausage but then on the weekends you've also got all of the the brick lane food stalls and they change quite a lot so if you go into the boiler house on brick lane over weekends the stalls do change sort of week to week so you get to, to try lots of different stuff so yeah, i'd say get yourself to, to east london if you can yeah so that brick lane area is where we visited um, mm -hmm. It's, it's really cool. It's really modern, funky, a bit hipster. Yeah. Um, there's loads of cool cafes. And we tried this uh, food on your tour, this little bagel place. Oh, yes. And we're like, this is nothing like a traditional bagel that you'd think like a New York bagel. It's not like Absolutely. that at all. It almost tasted like Yorkshire pudding. And but, but <laughs> That's it, a good way of putting it, actually. Yeah, the yeah. bread is sort of almost like that sweet Yorkshire pudding batter, yeah. but a cross between that and a bagel. And for <laughs> American listeners who don't understand what Yorkshire pudding is, it's sort of like this batter that's cooked in the oven and you have to come to England and try it if you haven't had it. It's uh, <laughs> really, really good. Do you know much about the history of that place? Because we paid like £3.70, which is about yeah. five US dollars for just this little sandwich thing. It was really, mm. really tasty. Like, Stuffed full of roast beef. Mm, full of roast they're beef. They're huge, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, that place has been there for quite some time and it's the same family that run it. Um, it's the only Jewish-owned eatery left in that area because it was a, there was a huge Jewish community there for, for years and years and years. But as is the way with the East End, as soon as people make their money, they bugger off to some nicer climbs with nicer um, well, yes. sort of housing. And, and That's what we do. Absolutely. <laughs> Get out there, they do. But they, the reason that they taste like they do, why they've got that nice doughy consistency, is because they bake them first and then, sorry, they boil them first and then they bake them. So they are really different from the ones that you get certainly in a supermarket but also from you know what we all know as New York bagels so it's quite pleasing I think actually when we get New Yorkers coming over and they look dismissively at the bagel shop thinking we know everything there is to know about bagels and then we can go aha but you've not tried ones like this before and they are they're really good and they're, they're really reasonable if you see how much I think it's like a dozen bagels is just a couple of quid it's one of the few places left around there that is reasonable and it's cool as well because it's like this sort of microcosm of the East End because you've got these the hipsters definitely lots of tight trousers in that shop but then you've got homeless people you've got policemen you've got builders lots of tourists and locals as well and everyone just jams themselves in that little shop and yeah gorges themselves on salt beef and it's open 24 7 apparently yeah forget kebabs if it's three o'clock in the morning and you're in that area then it's definitely bagels it's gotta be right. done. Mm. Uh, what was the name of that place it's the bagel bake shop so but it's bagel i can never say it properly it's like bagel B -E -I -G -E -L. yeah it's spelled strangely isn't it it's the, the original spelling i believe the, the family came over from poland and they still use that original recipe that came over with them yeah. uh, but apparently there was some little dispute i don't know if this is an urban myth or not that there were two brothers working there they had a falling out and you might have noticed there's another bagel shop about three or four doors down really? apparently we are one of the brothers went and set that up in competition but he since sold that off so that's why the one you guys went to is the sort of the original and the best i think yeah the other one wasn't nearly as popular no there's never a queue in that one whereas <laughs> you will have seen how popular the one you went yes. to was. yeah and it's loaded full of locals crazy good yeah okay so that's our top food tip for yes. Shoreditch, I think. Absolutely, we um, love that. Well on top of that. Good.
So I did notice through uh, just having a look through your, your website, one of the main things that you focus on with your tours is trying to dispel this this myth that English food is bad food. Um, I think a lot of foreigners think that it's it's soggy fish and chips or yeah. just greasy meat pies and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So the thing that we were really excited to discover on your tour was how multicultural London food is. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I think it's it's changed a lot over the past few years. And this reputation that British food got, it's completely justifiable. I understand why people think that, because if you, you know, go back to the 70s, it was crappy. And you most certainly can find soggy fish and chips and greasy meat pies all over the place. But that's the sort of tourist trap area. And I think if you're willing just to go that little bit off the beaten path, there is so much. And I think it's because we've had so many different people come through the city and they've each left their mark that you can get you know, really, really good quality food from all around the world just so well. And in fact, that's why I started the tours on Brick Lane, because I realised just walking down that one street, you could get food from pretty much everywhere. In fact, I remember seeing Transylvanian pretzels. I thought, well, that's that's pretty unusual. That's pretty diverse. And there's everything from that back to really just traditional British good quality food there as well. What can one expect from a Transylvanian pretzel? Well, I was a little disappointed. I don't know if it was just the person that I was speaking to. I said, what makes it Transylvanian? And she said, I'm from Transylvania. <laughs> <laughs> But I have heard on good authority that actually they are meant to be quite different. I think they're stuffed with different ingredients, but it was a bit of a letdown just to learn that it was just because she was trying so to So no bats, no blood inside? Not that I saw, no. I wanted that. That's really, that's a shame. It's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, now we've talked a lot about food already. Let's talk a little bit about other stuff to do around London. If people are going to go and hang out in London, it's normally quite expensive. So yeah. we're looking for some cool activities to do, something fun, places to hang out where you're not going to spend a fortune to do it. What's your sort of local tip? Some, somewhere locals would go that's fun. Oh, okay. Well, I guess Hackney Wick is an area that's changing a lot at the moment. So if, again, people have to travel a little bit further because this is kind of East London, kind of East, more East London, but it's not too difficult to get through and you kind of go out towards the old Olympic Park and along the canal there, there are some really beautiful little cafes and restaurants and lots and lots of breweries around there as well. And they do tours. So that's a pretty affordable way to go and learn something and you get to try the beer. And there's a place called Counter Cafe that does really good uh, pies down there. There's another place that's got a pizza, kind of pizzeria really, attached to the, the brewery. So I'd say that's pretty good to go to. To. Just wandering around places like Brixton Food Village. I realise I'm talking about food again. It's all about food and beer. It is just There's a lot of good yeah. beer in London. So you've got um, the Bermondsey Mile as well, where I, can't remember, I think it's about six breweries all sit along this one sort of stretch of road. And again, they've all got little food stalls there and you can, for not too much money, say about £12 or something, you get a tour and a talk and you get to try try their wares. So that's worth doing. But my one thing I always say to people who are visiting London is to just jump on one of the clipper boats, go down to Greenwich. Because again, I think that's about £12 or so. And if you're sneaky, and this is what I've done before with other people, take a little bottle of fizz, take some cheese, have yourself a picnic, and then you get to go for a nice little wander around Greenwich when you get down there go to the Gypsy Moth pub and go and see the Cutty Sark and that, that ends up being a relatively sort of affordable day and I think the Cutty Sark's a ship right for everyone yes absolutely yeah an old I think it's an old tea clipper but I just think seeing the city by river is, is a really nice way to do it and you don't necessarily need people doing the big spiel you know all the historical stuff because the I think it's, they're called boat boys on the clipper boats they generally give you a bit of a kind of chat about what you're going past anyway so I'd recommend yeah getting out on the water Ooh, very fun well yeah talking of <laughs> East London I think a lot of people maybe if they haven't been to England before get this impression of it being all the Jack the Ripper stuff and squalor and they don't realize that it's very well developed now and they don't very just nice. have to go to Leicester Square and those other West London places East London has a lot to offer Mm. Uh, yeah, we didn't know much about East London until we came on this visit. We, we were very pleasantly surprised. Oh, I'm glad. I think, uh, in a way, it's almost good that it's not known sort of hugely because it's not overly touristy, although it is sort of going that way. But that whole area has been gentrified uh, an awful lot since about 1996, I guess, was the tipping point. And it's like Berlin or New York, where you've had this sort of creative community move in because the rents were cheap. Mm. They made the place cool, then everyone else goes afterwards and then the rents go crazy and everything gets very expensive. But we're still at a point where 
it's just a, it's an area that's so full of, of character and there is all that Jack the Ripper history, but now without the fear of losing your wallet, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you're not actually going to get murdered or robbed. Exactly, it's yeah. It's very unlikely. It's yeah. a quite safe area. Another thing we very much enjoyed checking out while we were walking the streets around there was all the street art that pops mm. up now. And there are actually, there's certain areas where they're encouraging the street artists to yep. just be creative and do their thing. Mm -hmm. And you can do tours as well. There's a, a great company called Alternative London and the guys that take you out on the tours, very often they're artists themselves. So you really get that sort of insider's perspective on, on how they work and what they do. And it's, it's great because it's always changing. Bad for me because it's really hard to keep up with who's done what and you know, what work is by which artist. But it makes the place just interesting to visit and revisit. And it makes it really colourful without, because the stuff is good quality now. It's not all just a lot of tags. It's, it's really you know, well done yeah, work. Yeah, proper artists and it yeah. gives the place a real character. So. Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's very cool. Maybe you've got an interesting historical fact that isn't just Jack the Ripper, because that's the stuff people already yeah. hear about all the time. Something about the region, that Brick Lane area. Um, okay. What is it about Brick Lane that's, that's historically interesting? Yeah. I think, and again, this is why I started the tours in that particular area. Almost that one street and a collection of streets around Brick Lane, it's had lots and lots of different communities through it. So there's, as I mentioned, there's a big um, Jewish community, there's been a big Irish community. Now it's actually known as Bangladeshtown because we've got a big Bangladeshi community. There's been lots of other people on top of those communities come through that area. And it's just meant that the architecture, the street names, the, the people that are there and have been there, it's changed an awful lot. And I think that's what's given that whole area its character. It's not just, not every building is Georgian and it's not that clean it's just kind of it's got that grittiness to it and I think it's because there's not a lot of money in that area and it, it's had all these different people come through it that have in their different ways left their mark but I can give you some weird and wonderful facts about the area oh, yes. I guess Ooh, things please. that you might have heard on the tour oh so one thing that we learned recently is that there was this big push from the the local council to I guess maybe try and make the area cool before it was cool so in the 90s there was talk of changing the lane name of Brick Lane which has been known as Brick Lane since about the 16th century they were going to change it to represent the fact that there were all these internet startups in the area when it was all this you know the dot-com boom going on and so they wanted to change the name from brick lane to click lane like click of a mouse which i think would have been horribly cheesy yeah, yeah. a little bit <laughs> <laughs> i believe they didn't do that because all of the those businesses went bust so it's not known for you know internet startups around there it shortage is now which is a little further up the road but yeah that would have been a horrible embarrassing legacy i think for that it's street not quite as catchy as silicon valley is it no, really? not quite. <laughs> click lane. Click lane. it's like the lame yes. english version of that it really is it's, no wonder why the americans take the piss out of us <laughs> stuff like that that's what's Absolutely. going on oh i can tell you something about the tower of london so that's somewhere else that we we do the tours and most people again like Jack the Ripper being known in the East End the Tower of London is known for crown jewels and everyone marches past it and uh, I guess known for all the various people that were held in there but I didn't realize that the Tower of London was the UK's first zoo essentially so there was this menagerie of animals there for something like 600 years and at one point there was a polar bear that lived in the tower and these animals are really expensive to keep so someone came up with the bright idea of just putting this polar bear on a very long chain and allowing it to fish in the, the Thames for its, its supper essentially wow. um, so if we'd been around in the 1200s, you could have gone down to the Thames and seen a polar bear catching its dinner, which would have been pretty incredible, I think. Damn, why don't they have that now? Oh, I think they should, shouldn't they? <laughs> this is not fair. I thought you were going to say that they fed the criminals to the polar bear or something. That would have been a good idea. There were lots of They stories. might have done that anyway. They could have done. Yeah, there are lots of stories about ladies in waiting being chased around by wolves and all these animals getting loose. I think a Bengal tiger got loose, but that was from an exotic pet shop near Brick Lane and apparently was yeah chasing young children down Whitechapel High Street. Lots of fun. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, not awesome for them, but you know, it's some crazy history. We'll be back with Charlie from Walkie Talkie in just a few minutes. But right now, of course, we're in London, so we visited a few places for ourselves. First up, the very famous British Museum. In the British Museum in central London, it's free entry, so this is a bonus. It's massive, so you could spend days wandering around this place. Yeah, you can't get through this place in one day. No. And the collections are, like, second to none. 
It really is Super impressive. one of the best museums in the world. So even though it's a really obvious choice if you're coming to London, do not underestimate how awesome it is as far as museums go. You will not be disappointed. Plus they got loads of like Tutankhamuni type Egypt shit, which is cool. If you have one of those traveling Egypt exhibitions that comes to all the different museums around the world, you're gonna pay like $15, $20 to get into that. Whereas here you can see lots of the best shit for free. This is also the place that you come to if you ever want to see the Rosetta Stone in its actuality. Yes, they've got the actual Rosetta Stone right here. You enjoyed your time in the gift shop. I always do in museums and art galleries. The gift shop's probably the best part. That's not true, is it? No. Let's say uh, Rosetta Stone and Ancient Egypt stuff versus gift shop. I'm reckoning the former is the best. See, I didn't realize they had a bunch of uh, Inuit exhibition stuff here as well. Like, this place just continuously surprises you. No, no, it says these are gut parkers. They've made a shirt from the intestines of sea mammals. I mean, that's uh, pretty ingenious, really, isn't it? Hannibal Lecter, eat your heart out. Yeah, right. Like, I don't even think he came up with anything like this depraved as that. Yeah, he's not even trying. Yeah. <laughs> These guys know Get what they're doing. Get it together, Hannibal. See, the Inuit guys, they look cold, though. Because they are. I mean, yeah. I know they've got their big coats on and they're like, oh, this is all right. But actually, it's not all right, is it? It's actually really cold. They look cold. Yeah. And you ask yourself, well, why didn't you just migrate south a bit? It's, um, it's like a penis person with a penis. So it's like a giant penis with an extra penis on the bottom. Penis with a penis, that's weird. It's scary looking. After more culture and history than you can shake a penis-shaped statue at, we head off to the Camden markets for a bit of window shopping and street food. So when you come to Camden, first of all, when you look on Google Maps, you find Camden Town Market, which you think might be the main market. It's not. That is a horrible just, disappointment. Yeah, it's just a load of Asian-made products brought in and sold at massive markups. If you walk up the street a bit further, you'll find the stable markets. And all around here, we've got the food markets and we've got all these little cobbled streets because it used to be uh, in the 19th century stables, workshops and warehouses and it's all cobbled lanes, vaults and ramps all, all over the place. It's like a little maze just filled with shops. And this is where the real market is. Yeah, so there's uh, different places that are selling their own hand crafts. We just passed a, a, a journal store that has all leather journals, leather bound books and stuff, everything like all handmade and handcrafted. There's your vintage stuff where you can see like, you know, old vintage cameras and clothing and different stuff. People are selling their artwork, people are selling their leather goods, clothing designs, there's a lot going on here. Yeah, it's really cool. So it's fun just to wander around. You know, there's lots of people, it's a pretty lively market and it's got a lot of character. Obviously you want to try and not spend any money <laughs> because it is rather expensive. If you want to cope for 465 pounds, then this is the that. place to come. But if you want to get some cheap stuff, go back to Asia. We have found the street food which uh, if you guys follow us regularly, you'll know we are hardcore street food fans. Uh, so they do have quite a selection here. There's Hungarian food, there's pizza, there's Mexican, there's Chinese, there's sushi. Lots to choose from. Um, you know, the prices are all right. I mean, London prices. It's, yeah, you know, £1.90 for a slice of pizza. Yeah. yeah. Seven quid or something for a, a large load of Chinese food. Yeah, and so you can just walk around. This whole area is really funky. It's all 
done up every sort of shop front uh, along the street. It has all these really awesome designs. It's like a modern street food design placed on top of little old cobbled streets in Camden. So it's like new meets old. Um, yeah, it's really funky. Yeah, and there's lots of little markets around as well that you can browse around. Fairy lights and everything. It's a very funky little area. After all that window shopping, we had a bit of a thirst on. And where better to get a beer? than at one of the cheapest pubs in Britain. The money-saving secret of England. It's Weatherspoons. These are actually all over the UK. They don't really just come straight out and say that they're Weatherspoons. They'll generally have a different name to them. So you kind of got to do a little bit of investigation to find out if they are actually a JD Weatherspoons. Yeah, and basically you can get a pint for like £2.50, £3. So that's under five US dollars uh, in any of these places, even in central London like right in central London, we're in Camden at the moment, this is pretty central. That is like crazy, crazy cheap. You can come in here and you get a meal with a pint in the afternoon, like between two and five, six pounds 25. In the evening, it's like eight pounds. I will admit, like they're not like breaking any culinary, you know, revolutions going on here. Like it's just, it's average food, but it's cheap. Uh, also, all of the bars are all decked out. They're really funky and really, It's not like you're stuck with two beers and that's why it's cheap. They have a selection of about 15 to 20 beers in most of the pubs. You got your lagers, you got your British ale beers, and you got your craft beers as well. Yeah. They have American IPAs, lots of different things. They got taps are changing all the time. It's not always the same drinks. If you're not a beer person as well, they've got pretty decent prices on their spirits as well. You can get a bottle of wine for about eight pounds, seven or eight pounds. And these places are packed, always packed. So if you want to know what bar to go to, that will always have people in it. Yeah, it doesn't matter what day of the week it is, there's normally people out because it's the cheapest place to go drink. English people know this, tourists do not know this. So learn from us, go to Weatherspoons, it's way cheaper than anywhere else. And you can have a good night out for very little money. Okay, now more from our interview with Charlie from Walkie Talkie. And we've got some more stuff on history, street food and Monopoly. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting for us as we travel to see how different countries are and what stage of development they're at. And you think for London a hundred years ago, some of it was just completely different, unrecognizable. Yeah, in fact, one of the last slum buildings only came down in 1970, which was one in, in Farringdon, which is really recent history. So if we're thinking we had slum villages back in the 70s, it's kind of crazy how much has changed, how much money has come into the city. But I guess the same again with somewhere like New York, we've got rich and poor sat right next to door to one another. Even in you know, that Brick Lane area, you might be in quite an affluent area where the houses cost you know, upwards of a million. You turn a corner and you're still in the poorest borough in, in London. But that's what I think is interesting about it, that it's not just a uniform kind of feel to, to these places. No, most of London isn't. And that's one of the reasons we recommend people to come to London is it does have so much character and it, it's got its history and if yeah. you visit some American cities not New York but if you visit some ordinary inner America cities they're just very cookie cutter yeah I think so and London's not like that and no. I think if, if people can realize that you can do the city on a budget if you know you stay in an Airbnb place which I think is always a really good idea yeah, anyway because you do. tend to meet yeah. someone that's, that's local and you get away from the Angus steakhouses and you get away from the center of town then you can actually find particularly if you go down the street food route for, for eating and just you know looking at well, blogs like yours or there's so many different places people can go now to get off that beaten track and to, to find affordable things to do. There's a lot a lot of free stuff you can do in London. I mean, so many of the art galleries are free. But yeah, I think if you're smart, you can actually do it on a pretty tight budget. 
Yeah, in fact, I'd say as far as major cities in the world go for free stuff, London is actually one of the best. <laughs> so many museums, so many galleries that are all free. And yeah. that makes up for the cost of the public transport, which is insanely expensive. <laughs> so it all balances but then, out. But then on the other hand, it's, a, it's an easy city to walk around. I'm always sort of surprised how quickly you can get across town and from A to B. That it is a really walkable place, as long yeah. as you've got you know, a map with you. I think people get confused because they play Monopoly and they think these places <laughs> are miles apart. It's just all the big it, square, it, isn't it? They're, actually, just... yeah, they're <laughs> actually right next to you each just other. Go to the, the jail in one corner of London, you have to not yeah. make sure you don't go across. We were trying to figure out the other day which jail that was based on. Oh, uh, yeah. Is it Pentonville, maybe? Oh, it could be. Because it's next to Pentonville Road, isn't it? Right, yeah. So that would make sense. There you go. I'm sure all the American listeners will only know the uh, American version of Monopoly and have no idea what I'm talking about anyway. But never mind. (laughs) I think it doesn't help with the the tube not being sort of geographically accurate. It can look difficult to get around, but I think just with giving it a go is the best thing. And in fact, in any city, I always think just go get lost, find something interesting and work your way from there. Get the city mapper app and you'll be all right. Yeah, I think sometimes it takes longer to walk all the way down the tube around all the corridors and get on the underground and then back out the other end than it would take just to walk one or two stops over ground. It's a crazy maze down there. It is. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Tell us, what's your website? Where should people go to find out more about you and your tours? It is walkeattalkeat.com, which is a bit of a mouthful. I always think, think of a walkie-talkie and it sticks in your brain. So yeah, people can go on there. We've got a few different tours at the moment. So we've got two in East London. One is the sort of just alternative East End tours. We go to lots of great street food places and a couple of traditional places. We've got the Urban Carnivore Tour for meat lovers out there, which is going to slightly swankier places, but still lots of good history on that one. We're doing one in SE1. So that goes from Tower through to London Bridge and ends up in Borough Market, which is quite fun. And then also there is the Farringdon Gin Tour, where we get everyone good and drunk on gin. Wow. Wow. We, we went on the wrong tour. I know, you need to get you a bit squiffy. So there's uh, yeah, five cocktails, five lots of food, and again, history of, of that area, which has got uh, a strong history for distilling and, and brewing around there. And hopefully we'll have a cycling tour in the spring, summer, just getting that sorted out as well. So we'll be getting on our bikes so we can go a bit further afield. But I think really, yeah, if people are interested in seeing a Londoner's London, getting that sort of local view and getting off the tourist trail to, to try some tasty food, hear some hopefully interesting little stories about the, the places we visit, then come along. Cool. And we will, of course, have all of the information and links along with this uh, podcast on the website. Mm -hmm. Yes, it'll all be on the show notes so people can click the link and come and find your company. Well, thanks, Charlie. Thanks for joining us on the $5 Planet podcast. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. No worries. We'll see you later. Thank you. Cool. Thanks. Okay, well, it's almost the end of the show, so that means... It is travel homework time. Mm-hmm. So this week, we want you to go out and do some research about what different transport options are available in the destinations that you're planning on traveling to. It's going to be different for each place you go to, so research is really important. Yeah, it's always completely random what we figure out, whether it's going to be getting a tuk-tuk between locations or taking a train or taking a bus. So you do need to check out those things in advance, otherwise you're going to get stitched with whatever the internet comes up with as the top tourist version. So, for example, we actually did a post on getting from Beijing to Ulaanbaatar in Mongolia. We managed to do it for under $60 using local trains and other random transfers that we figured out. Uh, it took some planning. It was a very random couple of days. It's a very long trip as well. Oh, I was sick as a dog. Yeah. Oh, so that made it even well. less fun. Yeah, that made it fun. Being cramped in the back of a, a, back of a jeep, jeep with like five, five people, six people, which was interesting. And uh, yeah, taking the local train was all right. And we also took the sleeper train across the Gobi Desert up to Ulaanbaatar. And that, that was amazing. That was amazing. Yeah, we got a soft sleeper for like $30. So that was about half of the trip. That was our overnight train journey. But if we hadn't sort of figured out all these separate little ways to do it and taken it as a bit of an adventure, we'd have probably just got what everyone gets and we'd have done the Trans-Mongolian sleeper train from Beijing, which costs 250 US dollars. We paid 60. Yeah. We paid $60. So if you want to waste loads of money, do the thing that comes up first on Google. There is always a local way to get somewhere that isn't the most convenient necessarily, but it will be an adventure and it will be a lot cheaper. So check out the cheapest routes. Don't just take the easiest ones. Have fun. Yeah. Meet random people on random local trains. 
Thanks for listening to the $5 Planet Travel Podcast. Show notes and resources for this episode are waiting for you at $5dollarplanet.com. So join us again for Money Mondays to learn how to supercharge your online income. Or for Travel Thursdays, we will help you travel like a prince on a pauper's budget. We are waiting for your comments, feedback, and $5 travel tips. So tweet us at $5 Travel with the number 5. Or email info at $5dollarplanet.com. I'm Tomo. And I'm Megzy. Catch us again on Mondays and Thursdays on the $5 Planet. Bye for now. Bye-bye.